Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Full time. Manchester City have halted Chelsea's domestic dominance with a quite brilliant second half blitz. Ellen White, the standing captain, has her hands on the trophy. A stuttering start, but they're ending the season with momentum. Manchester City, Continental Cup winners 2022. Welcome to Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. And I'm Chloe Morgan. On today's show, Man City win the Conti Cup and finally end their Chelsea curse thanks to a sensational second half at Plough Lane. We ask whether it signals a changing of the guard for next season. And after Viviana Miedemar hit a century of goal involvements in the WSL, we explore how her game has developed since joining Arsenal in 2017 and where her future lies this summer. And it's International Women's Day, so we're going to share and celebrate some of the women who've inspired us in our lives, both in and out of football. Across Meads, Kirby, Kirby again, sure it's time. Ella White, the record draws near. Well, um, unfortunately, it's another remote show this afternoon because um, our resident goalkeeper had a bit of a uh, an accident on Sunday. Chloe, tell us what happened. Um, we're sending our best wishes. Yeah, a bit of a clash. Um, basically went full force into another player at uh, the Coventry game. Um, and I think she's also out injured as well. She came off the uh, the pitch, I think, about five minutes after uh, we collided. It was it was pretty bad. Um, but yeah, sort of. I think we're both just getting scans now to kind of find out what, what the situation is. But um, yeah, just currently holed up in, uh, in my bedroom with a leg brace. So it's so weird. I miss you guys. I want to be there. Her- a bit of a shout out. Sophie was at that game and sent me a message saying Chloe's just 
like made this amazing save and had a really bad clash with the player. She said she got up and she carried on for the rest of the half and was like, I don't know how she did it. So tough cocky. It was, um, I think it was just because it was such a, a good game. It was such a good game to be involved in. Um, and I think there's kind of a, a sense of once you're on the field, like you don't want to be changing goalkeepers too early on, especially when it happens sort of three minutes into the game. So yeah, I was just like, I'll see it out, see how it goes. But it just got progressively worse. And then I sat down at half time, and it was an absolute no-go. So um, Emily Orman to the rescue came on, uh, had a really good performance. So um, yeah, really, really uh, <laughs> a tough result to take. Wow. You're so brave, man. You're so brave. But we, we're wishing you our best. And um, yeah, keep us updated on the scans and everything as well. We hope it goes really well. And the goalkeepers union is tight. So we know that you will be supported and coming back um, ready to go on the pitch. Um, but also, what was brave? I'm trying to do a segue here. Manchester City's second half performance on Saturday. Oh, lovely. That was seamless. Um, what, a, what a turnaround. I did not see that coming. No, at all. No. And I think it's fair to say that we didn't see that coming. I think it's fair to say that um, most people probably saw Chelsea edging it. I didn't see Chelsea running away with it. I didn't really see anyone running away with it, to be honest. But um, yeah, second half was unreal. Really, really impressive performance from Man City. Um, I know, you know, Gareth Taylor kind of touched on his criticism and how he thought it was maybe unjustified in the in the post-match press conference. But for me... Look, I mean, I think some of that criticism was justified. Let's be real. I know they did have a lot of injuries, but they were also fielding a top team each week and he wasn't able to get the best out of them at the time. But equally, he massively deserves praise and plaudits for what the team has done um, in the last kind of 12 matches or so. They haven't haven't lost, I think, in 12 games. Um, and for what he did on Sunday, he absolutely outmaneuvered Emma Hayes in that second half. I think just to touch on that, I think obviously I was sort of reading through some of the interviews that he was giving after the game and, you know, there really was a kind of, it's a game of two halves, I think. In the first half, it did seem like Chelsea just had the upper edge and I think when they scored that first goal, I think the, the maybe naive part of me at the time felt that actually this is probably how the game was going to go and how it was going to, how it was going to be seen out. Um, but the second half, I mean, we saw a completely different Man City side. And I think, you know, there were comments from, from Gareth Taylor saying that he gave a really inspirational halftime talk to say, let's have some hope and belief here that we can come back and, and pull the game out of the bag. And for them to come back and win 3-1 was just just absolutely outstanding. And they deserved it. They were the much better, much better opponent in the uh, in the second half. It was a different team. I'm going to drop something maybe fairly controversial here. And I want to see what you Always, guys think. Every week. Because I know after after the... FA Cup final in December. We didn't clash, but some of us disagreed about whether it was Chelsea were that good or Arsenal were that bad. And I think shades of the Chelsea performance on Saturday in that second half, it gave me Arsenal at Wembley vibes. Chelsea were that bad. It felt like the collapse in December against Wolfsburg in the Champions League final group game, in which they just completely unraveled. It was those moments in a football match, and Chloe, I'm sure you can relate, and in times you may have had this in your career, but you're looking at players who just don't know how to get themselves out of a situation. They look tired. They're, it's like stuck in the mud. They can't do anything about it. There's nowhere to turn to. They've run out of ideas. They're so, so knackered, and they don't know what to do. They're lost, um, and they don't have any kind of leader on there to, to pick them up and get themselves out of the situation. So there was part of me that felt like, Although City stepped it up, it was almost like they were given that opportunity because Chelsea were just that bad in the second half. Who wants to jump in? And I, I don't think that's hugely controversial. I do think 
part, a lot of the reasons that Chelsea didn't play well in the second half is down to the fact that Man City shifted around their game plan a little bit. For me, it was a, a battle of midfields and um, I just think there was no connection in the second half between defence and forwards uh, for Chelsea. Um, Harder and Kerr had to drop much deeper to try and get the ball. And we've talked about this before. It, for me, it reminded me there were shades of their loss to Reading. Now, obviously at Reading, they had a lot more chances, but it was shades of that they don't have enough problem solvers on the pitch and they were struggling to find solutions. And that's what we were seeing, I think, massively in the second half. They can't rely on your your harders and your curves to be the only problem solvers on the pitch and they weren't getting the service. So for me, that's an area that I think Chelsea definitely need to to work on is is problem solving during a match. Um I think I know they were missing players and and we didn't give Gareth Taylor much slack when he was missing missing players and I don't think we can give Chelsea much slack for the fact that they were missing players either because of the depth in that team. Um for me the biggest loss was probably Aaron Cuthbert, but they had enough depth and, and Jesse experience. Fleming I think energy wise yeah but Jesse doesn't even play full matches or, or start, start all matches either so you know I but don't in that, that second half energy that yeah. kick up the arse that you would get from a, a sub or be, being able to bring on someone like Fleming or Cuthbert they just lack that G yeah. had a poor game yeah. Lauren James came on the first thing she did was not defend at the corner and let Chelsea let City score yeah so I feel like it was not having the right sort of players on the bench to be able to hold the game out or even offer much going forward to see the game out. I think it was um, a great deal of it was sort of game management. I found that Chelsea was a little bit lacking in, in that. I think, you know, as a as a, such a successful team, I think you can sometimes be a victim of your own success in the sense that because you're not used to losing that well, you don't know how to cope with sort of the adverse situations that, that arise. I mean, there was a completely different shift, I think, in Chelsea's energy in the second half. I mean, when they went that first goal down, that was when things started to drop off. And by the second, I, I, I was like, okay, I think the game is done by now because 2-1, Chelsea didn't look like they were even wanted to really get back into the game that much so um, no I think the game management wasn't wasn't really there and I think that a part of it maybe I mean you can't really blame the pitch because both sides were dealing with that situation but you could see that a lot of the pitch and the, the kind of the standards of the pitch and Emma Hayes was talking about this in her pre-match interviews it, it doesn't uh, make for you know smooth streamlined passes and I think that Chelsea are, are you know both sides are very much used to that but I think it, it, it would have worked better in Chelsea's favour. Emma Hayes spoke as well about a lack of experience, which it's not something I would say about that Chelsea team. She, she, she was reflecting, saying it was quite a young team that that finished that game, but there were a lot of winners in that team. I mean, Sam yeah. Kerr scored a hat-trick in last year's final. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't really agree with that. There's plenty of experience. Even from this season alone, they've been in a number of finals and a number of big games. So I I wouldn't, I can't really get on board with, with that comment, but I think they rely too much on too few players to get them out of holes. And I think you need more players able to step up in those situations. And that's an area that they need to work on. And maybe, like you say, a victim of their own success. If they're not finding themselves in those positions enough, then maybe those players aren't experienced enough. And maybe that's what Emma Hayes means in getting themselves out of those holes. Um, and like I said, you can't rely on on one or two players to kind of take the game by the scruff of the neck because it's not going to work every time. And as much as I've been nagging on Gareth Taylor the entire season... Uh, and not giving him a lot of credit. I do actually want to give him a lot of credit. And even though I just mentioned, I think, you know, Chelsea's, Chelsea unravelling gave City a lot of opportunities in that game. I do think he does deserve credit for utilising Caroline Weir and Georgia Stanway in very effective ways over the last couple of weeks. We know that Georgia Stanway had to f- fill in at right back because of injuries to Lucy Bronze and Esme Morgan. And he acknowledged that in his post-match saying, you know, we haven't really had the squad depth 
for players to be able to play in their best positions at the moment. And and now the last couple of weeks, they've been able to step up and actually play where they want to play. But also with Caroline Weir, he's mentioned, and he said this in his post-match, he's spoken to her recently and said, I want you to get into the box a little bit more because you score a lot of goals from outside the box. But actually... You need to be getting in the right positions, be getting, you know, in and around the 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 six yard area, eight yard area, whatever, and and getting more chances there. That's where you can be really deadly and really effective. So I do want to give him a lot of credit for for doing that and 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 making City a bit more ruthless. Where whereas before it was a lot of reliance, and there still is an over reliance on Lauren Hemp, but there was a reliance on Lauren Hemp doing all the work, playing a ball into Ellen White, seeing seeing what happens. But I think. You know, there's been a realization that that is too one-dimensional, and they need other players like Georgia Stanway and Caroline Weir to be creative, to provide assists, provide opportunities, and score more goals and be more be more ruthless in the box. And I think they've got that, and that's been a real, real change for City the last couple of weeks. And why they're now kind of looking like they're in the driving seat for for Champions League as well. Yeah, I definitely think we don't kind of focus on we wouldn't focus on one player from that game uh in for Man City. I think Lucy Bronze stood out. I thought um Georgia Stanway was excellent. Alex Greenwood was really good. Uh, she's what I think kept them in that first half. Honestly, I want to talk about revelation. her glow up at Manchester City because <laughs> I and like apologies Alex Greenwood, I disrespected you. Like I never really rated her that much. But she has been so good at City and her versatility to play at left back, left sided centre back, good at set pieces, good delivery from corners, good delivery from free kicks. Like she has been a revelation. Yeah. She's been playing really well for England. And I want to give her so much credit. And I apologise for disrespecting the good name of Alex Greenwood. I 100% agree because there were big <laughs> names that stood out. But for me, she, I, I feel like. Their win came because it was only 1-0 and she was really solid in the first half when they were kind of looking a little bit shaky. She was there with interceptions, with blocks. Um, I thought she was excellent. Yeah, we touched on Georgia Stanway. Every time she got the ball in that second half, she drove at that Chelsea defence. I was really, really impressed. Caroline Ware is a wizard. I mean, what can I say? I do want to say Lauren Hemp, in the second half, they were they were switching around um, on the wings and I think they identified that Lauren Hemp was having much more success against Jana Anderson. Um, to the, in fact they took Jan Anderson off I thought some of the subs towards the end for Chelsea were unusual but Lauren Hemp had that wing down she did really really influence the second half for sure I definitely agree with that I think when I was looking at um, Greenwood and some of the sort of defensive clearances that she was making I think they were absolutely critical at critical points when I think Chelsea could have brought themselves into the game a little bit more and I think I agree you know at the other end of the field the link up play between Stanway and Weir was just an absolute was, was beautiful it was magic and I think you know Weir has obviously come from strength to strength and she's been scoring absolute worldies um, this season sort of for you know and, and, I, and I just um, I'm just so impressed by her and I think you know it was such a difficult game as well because of, obviously you know I, I sort of went back to the pitch situation before for her to be able to to bed those goals like she did with that pitch condition and I just think that that they were just beautiful and the goalkeeper had no chance there was no chance of saving those either so yeah credit to her so what do we think moving forward for the rest of the season because I still think Chelsea the you know they've kind of got the advantage because they've got these three games in hand now the expectation is that they'll win all of those games and they'll be one point above Arsenal regardless of what Arsenal do but talking to Chelsea fans, talking to other people, they still do think the advantage is with Arsenal. They've got the points on the board, obviously, which does help. Um, and they would rather be setting setting the pace rather than chasing someone down. But what do you guys think? Do you think this is going to signal a bit of a change of the guard? Is this Chelsea getting knocked off their perch a little bit? What ramifications could this now have for the rest of the season in the FA Cup and in the WSL? 
I don't think it's necessarily knocking them off their perch. They've always been close games with Man City. I know Chelsea have generally come out on top of those. But I think these kind of games they do learn from and they do not relish is the wrong word they obviously don't want to lose but I think you do obviously learn a huge amount when you do lose you learn learn a lot about yourselves as a team and areas that you need to improve on it'll do one of two things like we saw the loss in the past in the Champions League kind of shook Chelsea a little bit so it, it could kind of shake them a little bit knowing they have to win those games in hand but on the flip side it could also light a fire up them they've got Marin Mjelda back they've got Magda Eriksson back and I think that might do the latter. We'll see when they play West Ham this week. Um, but an angry Chelsea is not a Chelsea I'd want to come up against. I think it's that. And I think when you look at the kind of consistency that Chelsea have shown over the season, I mean, when was the last time that we were talking about Chelsea having a bad streak? They just don't really have bad streaks. They have maybe a, a game that doesn't go to plan or it's not the way they wanted it to go. They have a, a singular loss. But I don't think we've ever seen a sort of situation where Chelsea have a loss and all of a sudden take a dive. So I don't think this is going to signal, you know, a really bad turn of form and that Chelsea are suddenly going to, you know, stop being, you know, the contenders for, for the title. I think it's obviously Chelsea's to lose now because the points are they're in their favour if they win all of their games but I, I, I don't think it's going to be a signal of, of anything changing with, with them with the loss I think if anything it might inspire them to actually um, press on and, and work a bit harder now towards the, uh, the, the league title We've got a very exciting few weeks of football ahead I'm looking forward to seeing what happens If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
There's more to Irish history than St. Patrick. And Shane Todd and Hazel Hayes are here to tell you all about it on We're Not Fucking Historians, the Irish history podcast with a few facts and plenty of crack, like the legendary Irish warrior Coo Cullen. Some sources say he killed the dog by driving a hurling stone down its throat. Now, he's six. Hazel, <laughs> did someone say the naughty step? Jesus, someone, someone went to bed without <laughs> supper, didn't they? Someone <laughs> called Super Nanny because he's at it again. Or Ned Kelly, Australia's infamous Irish-born bush ranger. Punishment was imprisonment with or without hard labour. I'd, I'd prefer without. If possible. Yeah. Like, if it's going. Do you, have, do you have any without hard labour? Yeah. Can I have the without labour substitute, please? Can, can, I, I, get, can I get the hard labour on the side? Can I get almond um, <laughs> instead of hard labour, please? Search We're Not Historians. That's We're Not Historians in your favourite podcast app for weekly episodes every Tuesday. Let's see what these people have said about it. Amazing. The Times. <laughs> Whoa. New York Times. A lot of times. <laughs> Great, Hazel herself. We're not fucking historians. It's a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Rachel, I know uh, a real passion of yours is uh, the evolution of one Viviana Miedemar. Um And on Sunday, it was quite the evolution because she became the first player in WSL history to reach 100 goal involvements. 70 goals, ridiculous. 30 assists, ridiculous. Um, and Viv Stenius, which I think is what people are, uh, are, um, are coining the, the the partnership of Stina Blackstenius and Viviana Miedemar, is absolutely electric. Was that the game on Wednesday night in which they smashed Reading to bits. Was that the game on Sunday in which they were mm-hmm. smashing Birmingham and then kind of made things nervy for 10 minutes? This is a real revolution, a revelation, because when Blackstenius was signed, we were wondering what that meant for Miedemar. She still, you know, quite likely she still might leave, but we were kind of worried that this was a real signal that she was going and Blackstenius was now going to be the, the, the primary sort of like centre forward. But Miedemar has shown that she can drop back and still be really effective and play with someone alongside her. And uh, yeah, they're a pretty incredible combo at the moment. Right. First of all, you've made me sound a little bit weird, um, but it's, it's not like a, it's not like a passion project. I just want I'm greedy. You just you know I'm greedy. Know, you, I want all of the good players. I want all of the good players in the WSL because I want to see them play week in week out. So quite greedy. But I also do feel a little bit vindicated because I know we had this whole conversation about whether she should be playing deeper or not, and whether it was going to be a good thing but or a I bad think, thing. But I think I think it's only been effective because Blackstenius has come in. I think it wouldn't have been effective if she hadn't have been there because at parts of this season before Blackstenius has been played with with her, she was dropping deep, but there was no one making runs nope. and she was receiving the ball too deep. Yeah. And therefore, there was no options. Totally agree. But, but now she's got Blackstenius. It's like yeah, the, a the conversation we had though was about whether dropping her deep and having Blackstenius up front was going to work. And I was pushing for it, and I'm really glad to see how how well it's working. When are um, you getting your Vivstenius tattoo? Uh, we'll see because I think that sounds a bit like a dinosaur so maybe I'll just get like a little dinosaur <laughs> oh tattoo. my god yeah like a two headed dinosaur one head's Viv one one's head's a goat and one head is like a dinosaur body. yeah I love that love that um, no I'm being really impressed with it I think her game intelligence is what makes her what kind of takes her to the next level and she often gets criticised for 
disappearing in games or, you know, not ha- taking as many as many shots as she should. But she is an efficient striker and she is not going to take a shot unless she's pretty confident that it will at least be on target. So rather than just kind of whacking off a shot every time she gets near the box, um, she's she plays a more intelligent game and will only do that if she knows she's going to, you know, potentially score or, or get it on target. So I think that actually makes her really efficient. What we're seeing now from her is her work off the ball and her work not in front of goal, which she doesn't get enough credit for, in my opinion. And we saw a lot of that when she was playing up front for Arsenal. She did do a huge amount of work off the ball. Um, And now when we're seeing these passes, when she's playing in the number 10 role and we're seeing these unbelievable passes, she's kind of finally getting that credit. I think she's been doing a lot of that work for a long time. But now it's kind of being has a spotlight shone on it. I 100% agree with that. I think, um, you know, she's a playmaker. She's not only a goal scorer, but she is a playmaker. And I think now that she has Blackstinius up there, I mean, you know, she's had fantastic link-up play in the past with, with other players. But I think now that there's sort of a new energy that's come to the squad, she's got this new um, dynamic with Blackstinius where she can sort of be a bit more of a feeder and be happy in that role. I mean, 30 assists is absolutely incredible in its own right by itself. So, yeah, I think we're going to start to see that there's going to be that kind of link-up play just going forwards um, further and further. And I, and I do agree I know there were some suggestions or questions at the sort of start of, of this year about whether she might be sort of looking to, to go elsewhere or, or head off into Europe but I think now now that she's got that that link up with Blastinius kind of sorted I, 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 I see those questions being um, being nullified a little bit now tell us what it's like as well to, to face Miedemar obviously not something that I don't think Rachel and I are ever going to experience but what is it like to come up against a player like her uh, to be honest, I'd rather not comment on it. It's uh, it's pretty traumatic, <laughs> actually. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty painful to relive. Um, no, I mean it's uh, we played her. I think I last played against her in uh, the FA Cup uh, with Palace at the uh, the back end of last season. Uh, and the score kind of says it all. It was nine nil. Um, but <laughs> why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> I mean, it was it was one nil at half time, so I'll take that okay. as a win. Okay, all right. Um, yeah. Is that a win if your second half then was eight nil? It was kind of a, it was a Just win based for on us. the first half. Okay, it's right, fine. Right, I think yeah. it was uh, you know from one nil you can kind of you can go somewhere from there. When it ends nine nil, you're thinking, okay, well something something's gone wrong. Um, yeah, I mean she she didn't she didn't actually start that game. Um, yeah, and then she came on, and I think we were about three nil down at that point. And obviously you can see the escalation of the goals from the three nil to the nine nil, and a big part of that was to do with with Miedemar entering the uh, the field of play. And I think I probably let out a, a quite audible, noticeable sigh um sort of oh, a, a downward looking into the floor as if the uh as if i just wanted it to open up and, and eat me alive um but i think that's just it i mean you try and save the, the save the ball in front of you as it's coming towards you but Miedemar's one of those players who completely blindsides you it blindsides defenders and so you often get into a situation where she's completely unmarked because she's moved around so often before the ball actually reaches the edge of the box or even in in the box and and I think that's the beauty of what, what she does it's not necessarily that she has to have the most amount of possession in the game it's just that the one or two touches that she does have are the critical are the critical ones and they often find themselves in the back of the net which is devastating for a keeper to pick a ball out of the back of the net nine times and have about six of those be be due to Wiedemar but uh but at least I can say I uh I was on the same field as her at one point in my career and and I'll take that as a win probably one of the best things I I I find it hilarious I love that the 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 way Vivian Mina is just so nonchalant about everything um she's spoken quite a lot about how 
she is just so focused on football. She doesn't really care about much else apart from the game, the pitch and scoring goals. So I find it quite funny that there's always such a big narrative and discussion around her as a player, her legacy, when she's not scoring, if she's if she is scoring, et cetera, et cetera, and how she just doesn't give a shit. Her whole presence, her whole persona, her whole demeanor, her body language, she just doesn't give a shit. The swagger that she has and the way she continually delivers, regardless of what people are saying, is so incredible as well. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit bored of that because it that is what she is and she's never kind of apologized for that. And we know why she's like that. We know that it's it's not because she doesn't care she wants to score um, or she wants to set up uh, a teammate to score so the whole it's it, it does kind of annoy me when it's mentioned every single time she plays uh, you know or or if they're losing suddenly it means more than when she's nonchalant when they're winning and it's like it doesn't she's consistent in the way that she celebrates goals um, but there was a great article with Kieran Tyvum in The Athletic back in 2020 where they went through some of her goals and the detail that she goes into in terms of what's going on in her head before each of these goals is like mind-blowing. You know, we probably don't realise that as, you know, people who don't actually play the game to that level, but all of these strikers, what's going on in their head, the intelligence of of reading players and reading situations so quickly and deciding, you know, in a split second to, to do something different or to switch a ball or to aim in a different direction or to hit it in a different way. And so I would recommend reading that article to kind of get an idea of what goes through a player's head when they're in those situations. It's really, really interesting. And, and maybe maybe that's why when she scores, she just doesn't have the energy then to celebrate after all of that, like calculation that, that's gone on before the goal. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the decisions you have to make and the speed in which you have to make them as a footballer is ridiculous, especially when you're playing as a centre forward because, you like she mentions in the piece, you know, an opportunity can go in an instant if you don't make the right decision, if you decide to pass rather than shoot. And I think as as fans as well, or people that watch the game, or even Chloe as being a goalkeeper as well, well you probably have a brilliant vantage point because you're at the other end of the pitch, you kind of see everything. I imagine sometimes you're looking at your centre forwards and thinking shoot and they you know pass it to the right or whatever I've seen that with Myanmar sometimes where she's decided to pass I'm like just shoot what are you doing like there's it's those moments that really I think separate the best of the best because the best like Myanmar make the right decisions in the right moments and that's what kind of takes them to another level and other other ones they either don't have the confidence so they you know they want to get rid of the ball they don't want to take it on or they just don't make the right decisions at the right time and she is another level because she is a complete product and I think this these last few weeks as well was showing how she is providing a lot of assists for her teammates and playing a bit more of a creative playmaker role and it's almost like she has kind of evolved into even more than she was before which was everyone knew her as a deadly finisher and now she's just kind of even more than that. Yeah and there was a great quote in that piece she said to me it's about playing simple football just doing the right thing and not trying anything weird or fancy. Football is a simple game people just make it very complicated. <laughs> I think that sums up her personality as well does, like yeah. she's quite a simple person in a brilliant way like she she's not someone who like she's quite low-key on social media like She's quite a straightforward, normal person. She's not someone who, you know, is driving fast cars or, you know, has loads of different hobbies. Like, she seems pretty chill. She seems like she just kind of, like, wants to watch Netflix and hang out. Like, that's her. And I feel like that quote epitomizes Miedemar because she just wants to play football and score goals. Like, that's it. And yeah. that's football at the end of the day, right? 
I think she does things just I think it's the simplicity of of her style of play. I think I agree like she's not a kind of fancy step over type um player. She's very much, you know, the intricacy of just getting things the simple things right. And I think, you know, when you look at the standard of the WSL now, the chances that you have are very far and few between sometimes and especially in some of the sort of harder opposition games, the Chelsea's, the Man City's. I mean, you might only get two or three chances and those chances are going to be critical, but you know, you can always almost always rely on Miedemar to, to put those chances in the back of the net. It's very rare that she misses. And I think that is what you need, that kind of almost certainty that once that ball hits Miedemar in, in the box at some point, it's, it's going to, it's going to um, produce a goal. Here's hoping we can keep another goat in the WSL because I just want all the good players in the WSL so that we can watch them. I'm greedy. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Van der Sonder drives it across, brilliant header! Viviana Miedemar! So we're recording this on Tuesday, which is International Women's Day, the International Day of the Woman. Um, So we wanted to give some shout-outs to our favourite women in football, our favourite women outside of the game, those in our personal lives who are really supporting us, giving us confidence, guidance, whatever it may be. Um, so, Rachel, I want you to give us a little sprinkling of, of your favourite gals. Um, yeah, I chatted with Soph about this yesterday, and I think we talked about the fact that, like, pretty much everyone we've been surrounded by from the beginning has been strong, hardworking women, which has been amazing. So, from the likes of Jen O'Neill, right, you know, right back when we started paving the way for people like us, um, getting into media and she still is um, so she's definitely one we've got this great group of women um, that really developed from the, the 2020 She Believes Cup right before lockdown came in um, who I definitely want to give a shout out to Susie Rack at The Guardian, Molly Hudson at The Times Emma Sanders in the BBC and Claire Bloomfield formerly um, Daily Mail and Freelance and now Head of Women's Football at the European Club Association that's our little group of strong women who always are always there for advice always there to kind of boost you um kind of make you maybe see the impact and influence of what you're doing I think we as women are not very good at giving ourselves credit for the work that we do or stop stepping back and kind of appreciating the progress that's been made and that's you know that's one good thing about days like International Women's Day is that we can actually try and stop and, and look at the progress that we've made and kind of the influence that the people around us have had. Um, obviously, Chloe, you know this, our, our agents, you know, Joe Tong, Chloe Shearer are some seriously badass, strong women who are very, very uh, inspiring for us. Um, but for me, and I'm going to embarrass her now, uh, it's pro- I'm probably going to say Sophie, my wife. I'm very lucky that I get to work with my wife. Um, but from a business partner point of view, you know, running Girls in the so Ball together. Cute. I love it. Um, she's definitely definitely been hugely inspirational um in terms of like pushing herself out of her comfort zone looking how far she's come in the last 10 years from she used to get like super like nervous and embarrassed talking to a player and her cheeks would go red and and now she's come so far and like seeing her kind of step up and do a halftime piece on BBC One um on a in a one of the football matches with Joe Curry is such a big kind of transformation for her um and she is like definitely someone you would want to have on your team when you're working because she she gives her all to everything um we'll try lots of new things we'll learn lots of new things by herself she built our website like having never 
done any kind of website work before it kind of gives you an example of what she's like and is always striving to to do more and do better and never really gives herself enough credit for for the great work that she does so she's definitely the driving force behind girls in the ball um and deserves that obviously I'm biased because she's my wife but um definitely the perfect business partner and I think the fact that we can live together and work together says a lot about life and you don't hate each other because like, not many people can, not many couples can do that no they can't, that is love so. my friends yeah that is love so that was beautiful I nearly, literally nearly so cried <laughs> that was so good yeah. um Chloe how about you top brownie points yeah, yeah right you, I'm expecting some big things for your birthday this know. year she doesn't know she doesn't know she's gonna kill me we're gonna clip this and put it out and we're expecting big things um I think uh, for me I think as a player um having some absolutely incredible captains um I mean Jenna Scalacci uh a massive uh part of my career with Spurs uh one of our best mates um and we've now just launched a camp together actually so we're actually going into business a little bit as well um but she's been an incredible support I mean you know sort of what goes on behind the scenes it can be really difficult it's such a tough career sometimes you go through so many highs and and so many lows and we've and we've been on this massive Spurs journey for um you know for five six years and she's been a you know Spurs captain for about 11 years so she's just an absolute legend she's just an absolute rock um and AJ my captain now at Palace um again another absolute inspiration she's such a leader on and off the field and you know there's so much that goes on behind the scenes and she's always the first person to check and see if you're okay and to, to fight and push for you know for more for the girls and she's just an absolute rallier um you know and she also has a full-time job as well as as many other girls do and I just think she's an absolute inspiration. So massive shout out to AJ and also our incredible physio, Lila, who is obviously hard at work trying to sort out this leg. And before that, it was the finger. And then before that, it's the concussions. Oh and Causing her so much grief, um, Chloe, for God's sake. <laughs> I've pretty much put her in business. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, she's incredible. And she's such a, a kind, uh, lovely soul. And she's just so experienced and so knowledgeable. And uh, we just all trust her and, and love her to pieces. She's, she's one of one of the girls so she's a, a massive shout out to her as well and you know just to echo what you were saying as well about our agent joe and chloe and uh the gang i mean i went through some really difficult times with with spurs sort of leaving spurs and sort of speaking up against some of the stuff that was happening in the treatment of players and it was a really um a quite vulnerable time and uh joe and, and the gang were a massive part of the support and uh, advice uh to sort of see me through that period and, and give me lots of guidance so um, yeah, I'm forever in their in their debt for for what they've done. So um, yeah, but I think there's just so many amazing women in football. You could go on and on and on because I just think that the whole community just generally is such a vibe. Everyone mm. just seems to have each other's backs, and it's just beautiful. And you know, even meeting you guys and doing this podcast this this year and this season has been absolutely. Uh, incredible to get you to know you guys on a, on a personal level oh, and so you know, get to the point man. where we can just absolutely rip the shit out of each other <laughs> it's just it's just so heartwarming sometimes um so yeah it's an absolute highlight of my week so yeah peace to you guys happy international oh, women's day gang amen top that flow yeah it's a lot of pressure now um <laughs> well i well i guess i'll start by shouting out my mum um I know a lot of people. A lot of people who have played women's football or played, you know, football as a as a young girl will know that it relies on a parent driving you around, um, having access to transport in order to play. And my mum did that for me for a, a very good number of years. Um, Friday nights would drive me to training at QPR out by Heathrow. Would drive me to Lord knows where on a Sunday to play a game. Um, and she was really supportive of my passion. Um, she, you know, spent a couple of years of the early years of my life being absolutely gutted that I wasn't into pink and dresses because, 
when I when she had she had three boys and then uh, I came along and it was a girl and she got really excited and it was like it's going to be like her dream little girl that she could dress up in dresses and I think it, I think it did take her a little while to adjust to the fact that I wasn't going to be you know that that type that type of girl which is absolutely fine um, and I think she realised that it was going to be I was going to be special in a unique way of you know I was going to love football uh, and I was going to you know define my own way of, of what it means to be a woman. And I think that's really important to me is is reflecting on the fact that there is no, there's no one woman in football. I'm, you know, a, a, I would identify myself as a tomboy. I like wearing football shirts and tracksuits and, and that's what makes me comfortable. And lots of women in football like wearing pink. They like having fake eyelashes. They love having their nails done. They love getting their brows done. And that's awesome as well. And, you know, there is no one de definition of what it means to be a woman in football. And I think I think it's been really interesting with someone like my mum for her maybe to go through that same sort of journey and, and realising that her daughter loves football, loves the game, and she was going to support my passion, my my want to play in it, and also to work in it. And it's amazing as well to see, you know, those little texts. I think we mentioned last week that you get when my mom's like, "Oh, they're talking about equality, uh, equal pay on uh, on on Radio Four, and she'll drop me WhatsApps and things like that. So I think that's been really special to kind of almost make a football fan out of my mum when she had no connection because you know her parents didn't like football. She hated PE at school, but she's now got a connection. In, in the game because of me um, and I also wanted to shout out loads of my allies obviously our production team Charlie and Finn here at, at Ramble are, you know two great guys who've been really supportive of you know they came up with the idea for the podcast approached us about it uh, and, and the Ramble team wanted to wanted to do a women's football podcast which is brilliant and, and there's so many guys like that in this industry you know I started out mainly working in men's football years ago and, and all the opportunities I've been given in men's football have pretty much all come from men so it, you know it needed male allies to kind of look at my work and appreciate what I was doing and give me those opportunities and I think they deserve a lot of credit because you know the way the industry is at the moment there are mainly men at the top of you know radio companies broadcast companies tv whatever newspapers everywhere you look it is mainly men at the, at the top of these places but that doesn't necessarily mean that women aren't getting the opportunities or they're getting blocked out but obviously it requires you know, a sense of kind of self-awareness to then change things. And, you know, we will get to a point where there will be more women at the top of these these um, these companies. But I think it is massive when you see a lot of male allies in the industry kind of hiring women for their worth, their ability, being valued for their opinions as well and not just being put there uh, as, a, as a tick box, which, you know, I feel like sometimes we have to battle against that as well. And I think what's so brilliant about the women's football space, like you mentioned, Rachel, is that there are a lot of, women in it and I think that makes it a, a really kind of solid supportive community and I think men's football lacks that a lot like I often go to games and I, are, I am still the only woman in the press box and it is quite a strange feeling and I do now when I go to games men's and women's games I see more women but it's all white women and I think that is something that on International Women's Day as an industry we, we need to really reflect on obviously like uh, Rachel and I were at the Sports Journalists Association Awards last night 
And as a whole, in the bubbles I think we operate in, we probably think of sport and football as a really diverse space. And then you, when you go to places like that and you see a room full of 700 people and most of those people are all white and are all male, you're like, oh, wait, actually the progress maybe isn't as great as I think in my little you know, vacuum. So I think there's so much, there's so much that still needs to be done. But I think Rachel's right. I think it's really important to reflect on how you got there, who's helped you along the way. You know, so many people have given me opportunities um, that, you know, I wouldn't have had without them. And that includes men and women. Um, so shout out all you guys on International Women's Day. Thanks to everyone that listens as well. Um, you know, there's so many amazing male allies in women's football who we wouldn't be there without their support and uh, all our listeners. So shout out to you guys. Um, I think we'll probably wrap things up there. That was beautiful. I feel like I just went on like this whole rant about life. But like none of that, like none of that was scripted. None of that was, it was very much, as you said about the guys here, they wanted us to put our own spin on this and, you know, make sure we spoke from a personal perspective on on International Women's Day. So, and I think we all did that really well. It wasn't something that was felt in any way forced. Um, And like I said, opportunities like this to really reflect are quite important because... You know, I just don't think we do it enough, um, especially women, give ourselves kind of the credit that maybe women deserve um, for the work that's been done so far. Amen, sister. Where's everyone this weekend? Um, Chloe's going to be maybe back in A&E. We hope not. Getting a scan. <laughs> uh, I will be uh, having an MRI scan on Saturday. So that's something to look forward to. Um, and then probably uh, maybe try and get a lift down to the Lewis game. We've got Lewis away this weekend uh, in the league. Um, so, yeah, hoping to pick up some points from that game, which should be good. Yeah. Hitchhike your way to Lewis. Literally that. Where, uh, Rachel, um, where are you going to be? You're, you're so bad at remembering your diary. Every <laughs> single time you're like, mm, where am I going to be? Uh, West Ham, Chelsea on Thursday. See you there. See you in Dagenham. I, think, I feel like I'm doing Reading in the morning on sun- Saturday. I'm doing Chelsea Villa on Sunday. I think I'm doing Chelsea Villa as well on Sunday. Okay, um, well, and well. guess what? Going to the rugby on Saturday, which I'm very excited for. Well, that's England, a Ireland. So I've just, you know, had a great chat about my wife. Wow. And now we're going to England, Ireland, which is always an interesting fixture. Wow, I love that. <laughs> um, also, I would really love opinions, people's opinions on Dagenham because every single time I drive to Dagenham, I just find that people in Dagenham drive like maniacs. I don't know if anyone else <laughs> has experienced that. Going there on Thursday and quite dreading the drive. So any feedback on I get the tube. drivers in Dagenham, let me know. Um, we'll chat about it on next week's show. Uh, that is it for Can't today's wait. episode of Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. If you've got any questions for us, tweet us at Football Ramble, at Floyd Tweet, at Girls on the Ball, or at Morgie underscore 89. We'll see you all next week. Upfront is a stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. 